We are in chapter six, so after today, we will have reached the halfway point. Woo, go team. So yeah, today is not the halfway point. It's at the conclusion of today, you've reached the halfway point. Now, this is, as you can see, a shorter section. No, no, just no. I'm already answering that question, no, which you immediately thought. You're not going home any earlier, so just get that idea right out of your head. <laughs> Every party's got to be a pooper, and this one, it's me. So <laughs> now... The reason I say that is just, just because it is a shorter section does not mean that there is less in it. Just means that we get to spend a little bit more time on some of these verses. Now, warning, I'm sorry, this, this may drift a little more towards the depressing side like it did a couple of weeks ago, but I, I didn't do it. Blame Solomon. He wrote it. He wrote it. I, I just go where the text goes. It is, it is not my fault. I mean, let's be honest. We're looking at the world's hope. There's an oxymoron if there ever was one. The hope of the world, that's kind of where it is. Now, unfortunately, the world's hope, like everything else that the world gives you, is opposite of what God gives you, and we will expound on that shortly when we get into these. But our goals, remember, we want to follow Solomon as he sees the world from the world's perspective. That's one. We want to do that without forgetting God so that we can see what they have gotten wrong so we can understand what is actually right and then be the wise people we are supposed to be guided by Christ and the Holy Spirit and do what? Live wisely. So that's what we're going to do. That's the goal for the morning. You ready? Okay, verse one, let's dive in. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is prevalent among men. Right. We got a whole verse, a whole first verse this Sunday morning. Aren't you so proud? I threatened one of these times we'll get like a couple of verses in, but not today. Sorry, just not going to work out today. Now, this is one of those duh passages. Of course, there is an evil which is prevalent under the sun. That's kind of the unintentional wisdom of this book that you just pick up as you go through. Um, Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. There's, there are no good guys in the stories when dealing with humanity. That's why I've always told you, and I will continue to tell you, when you read your Old Testament, the hero of the story is not Jacob, it is not Abraham, it is not David. The hero of the story is God. Always has been, always will be. And by the way, that's still the hero of your story today. Just, just so you know, it's not you doing great and mighty, wonderful things. No, this is God working in and through you. Always has been, always will be. And by the way, Solomon is picking this up, not because he read Psalm 14, although he might have. I didn't look to see when Psalm 14 was written, so you'll have to go look that up yourself. Because this has been true since about 45 minutes after creation. So go back to things like Genesis 4. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. 
I don't know what this is, but it is in the corner of my vision. It is driving me crazy. There we go. Now it's gone. <laughs> One little piece of brown paper just driving me crazy. Now, that's the reality of the world, and it is the problem that you still face today. I mentioned earlier that the hope of the world is pretty much opposite of what God actually provides. Think through what the world provides you as hope. How does the world tell you peace is found? Or better yet, how is peace found actually in the world? Yeah, typically through war and conflict, right? How do we establish peace? We are bigger and stronger than you, therefore you will leave us alone, therefore we are at peace. Well, what happens when you're not bigger and stronger? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not very peaceful, is it? That's not how God provides peace. He does not provide peace through giving you a constant battle so that you can conquer the enemies. He provides peace by actually conquering evil in the enemies and then setting you at peace. Where is the world's freedom? I mean, have fun with your modern culture, Christian. You're free. How does that song go? Free to do what I want any old time, right? Is that freedom? What we define as freedom in the world is actually what Scripture would tell you is slavery to sin. It is taking the yoke of sin and making it heavier and tighter. What could possibly go wrong? Like, imagine getting arrested and be like, oh, no, no, officer, these cuffs are way too loose. Could you, can, can you help me out a little bit? There you go. Now I can't feel my fingers. Good job. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you would say what? That's dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. When is that rule in effect? Always in effect. Just always remember that. Jada still wears the hoodie, so. <laughs> this is how the world defines peace. This is how the world defines freedom. Um, where's the world's hope again? I mean, if we have enough peace and if we give you enough freedom, then why does the world seem to be more depressed than it ever has been? We have all this peace and we have all this freedom. Shouldn't we have all this hope and good thoughts and wonderful things? And yet, how, how does most of humanity walk around? I mean, for crying out loud, do you know how many, you know how many websites and t-shirt companies exist to make jokes about coffee? Because if we took away our coffee, what would we be like? See, that's probably not a good thing. You're, you're not supposed to be living as if you have been beaten with a stick every 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> my wife is immediately making a comment. I was going to say this next. I, I have joked, you know, for years, my father-in-law is a farmer and you breathe and you, you do it now. It's a little bit better. You have closed cabs and air filters and things like that. But you do it when he was a kid and coming up in his 20s and it's open cab tractors farming peanuts in sandy soil. So when you plant and when you spray and when you pick, you always know about where the tractor is because it's surrounded by the darkest of clouds. Basically, think pig pen <laughs> from peanuts just in tractor form. You know, that's probably not good for you. And there are mornings when he wakes up, it's like, you know, that's probably not how you're supposed to live each day where it's like, uh, and then there's all the stuff that has to come up because it's settled over the night. And I'm like, you're not, you know, that's not normal. That's, that's not healthy. That's not how you're supposed to live. You're not supposed to live in this world depressed and fearful and terrified of everything that's coming along. And yet, what does the world give us? It gives us exactly that. Why? Because the people, the world, and everything that the world has produced is broken by sin. Not some of it, all of it. That's part of the wisdom that is being seen here. So, verse 2. Let's see what this specific evil that Solomon has found is. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. All right, time out. Just before we finish reading the rest of that, that is a really, really dangerous place to be. To be in a place where everything, your heart, mind, eyes, 
and lusts could desire is readily available for you. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, <laughs> other, other than everything. I, I've, I've used this as an analogy before, but you, you go back and look at history and, and find me the happy famous people. Well, I don't know what it is. There's a certain income level. I'm nowhere near it. Some of you might be closer than I am, but there's a certain income level where once, once they reach, you just can't be happy. It's, I don't think it's physically possible. That's why you see, you'll see like, celebrities even to this day. Oh, look, we're getting married. It's eight months later. Oh, look, we're getting divorced. Why? Because I'm going to marry this person who I started dating six months ago. Wait. <laughs> Have you ever, I keep encouraging you. And by the way, this is not a new phenomenon. Have fun. Go think of like your favorite actors from the 40s and 50s and 60s and go have fun looking at their Wikipedia page and, and start looking at the marriages because there's almost all of them are plural. When you find one that's had one marriage, you're like, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> How is this happening? And you'll see it's like married in 64, divorced in 66, married in 66, divorced in 68. It's like that shouldn't probably like be like that because they have everything. They have the acclaim of the world. They have the money. They have the fame. They have the joys and they just trade out everything. That's the worry right here. Not a good place to be. First Timothy chapter six. We have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Hence Solomon continues. So they've got all that their soul desires, lacking nothing, and yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is a vanity in a severe affliction. See, this goes back to what we've seen. You can work all your life and accomplish all of these things and be wise and, and frugal and prudent, and then you die and some nitwit takes it over, and now what? I don't, I don't know, and you don't know, and that's kind of the point. This is one of the reasons why your stuff makes a lousy God. Why, I, if you want homework, ooh, I, don't give you, I haven't given you homework today, so here you go. Read the rest of this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 44, just because it's sarcasm in the Bible, and I always love when you can find good sarcasm in the Bible. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. Their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. Isaiah goes on. It's one of the great passages in, in, in Old Testament prophecy because it's so obvious in its simplicity and that's what makes the sarcasm and the biting reality so good is that his point is so you make an idol you go out in the backyard you cut down a tree and you divide the tree in half and half of the tree you burn in the fire you warm your home you cook your food but the other half that's special you take that and you spend time and care and you craft this idol and after you have crafted it and it sits upon the ground you must then pick it up and carry it to your mantle place, and you put it on your mantle, and you bow down to it and ask it to do things for you. I mean, that's, that's a special kind of stupid. Like, why was that part of the tree fit for idols, but the other part of the tree was only to be burned in the fire? This idol that can't even move itself from the floor to the mantle, you now request crops and blessings in the things of this world. I mean, it is stupid, but... 
That's kind of the point is when sin blinds you, when we talk about the blindness of sin, we're not talking about, you know, oh, you know, oops. We're talking about utter corruption of your mind, destruction of every kind, which is why I always remind you, Christian, you're not better than they were. Very rarely I will give you like this much of a percentage. Have you woken up in sin one day and go, oh my goodness, how did I get here? I cannot believe that this has happened to me. You knew, and you can trace back all 27 decisions that you have made that put you right there. And you can trace back and go, you know, I knew, I thought about it, but I wanted this, or I desired that. And you lied to you, because who lies to you the most? You do, therefore you are in this. This is the scourge of humanity. That's why I tell you, stop. Have that honest conversation with that fool you see in the mirror every day and make sure your mind is being renewed by your transformed heart. This is the conversation you have to have regularly. Who are you and, my favorite question, why are you? Why why for you do that? What was the rationale? What were we seeking? This is my question I always ask my kids. Because, you know, children are notorious for doing anything foolish, right? (laughs) Some of you with kids are having like, you know, PTSD flashbacks. (laughs) My favorite question is, what did you think was going to happen? Because it cuts through everything else. No, no, no. I know what you were trying to accomplish, but what did you think was going to happen when you did it like this? And then they'll stop and look at what they actually did. And it's like, oh, see, slow down. Pay attention. I can say that. I'm 41. I know it's a lot harder when you're 10 and you're 11. When I was 10 and 11, I was like the Tasmanian devil running around in my house. My wife didn't believe me. Found a first grade report card. I had told her this for years and turned out my mother had it packed away somewhere and we were digging through some of her stuff and found it. I told her this one for years and sure enough, it says right on my first grade report card, Michael is an excellent student if we can get him to sit down and be quiet. (laughs) I distinctly remember I would get up in the middle of class and just run around the classroom. Just run. And like people would then tackle me and put me back in my seat, and then they would call Mr. Godoya, and that was a fate worse than death. My, my principal in my elementary school, Mr. Godoya, I don't even know, I, th- I think it's a Greek name, but he had these things that had where his hands were supposed to be, and they wouldn't send you to the office. The office would come get you. So Mr. Godoya would come get you and then grab you by the back of the neck. I think you get arrested for this if you do this now. And then march you down to the office. And so like, you'd see him and we'd be walking like, you know, whoever your partner in crime was. And you're like, we don't want to die. We're sorry. We'll never do it again. Because when he grabbed you, it's almost, his fingers almost touched in the front of your neck. I mean, massive meat hook hands. And when you're six years old, it's horrifying and terrifying because you think any minute your head's just going to pop off. So yeah, that's not a core memory. <laughs> So, I tell you all of that because, one, there's hope. (laughs) That foolish child, grandchild, niece, nephew, there is hope. But two, this is the difference between the immature and the mature. Why don't I just run around the church while we're preaching? Don't, 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 don't. (laughs) This is calm. Because you recognize where things lead and you recognize the foolishness. Now, we have that because we've been granted the benefit of time and wisdom. Christian, this is what you're supposed to enter into the world with, is you have a wisdom that transcends your years because you have a wisdom that comes from God. Therefore, anchor yourself in it and apply it in the world. Now, stop. That's not easy. 
And that's not simple, and that's not what the world wants, because the world wants what? Decisions coming at you quickly, flying at you in every direction. And the call from Scripture is to know, to rest in Him, to slow down and evaluate. Is that going to be quick? No. Is that going to be what they want? No. Will some things pass you by? Yes. That's okay. It's okay. You are called to trust in the fulfillment and accomplishments and righteousness that are to come, not in the immediate. So you are living and working for a world that is to come. Therefore, when some things pass you by in this world, that's fine. That decision didn't get made in time. Okay. Better to be slow and wise than be quick and stupid. Yeah, there's this uh, video game I play with the kids, and they'll do this, where the level will start, and we'll all be on the screen together, and one of them will take off and die. And I'm like, why are you always in such a hurry to die? <laughs> Just take a second. See what's in front of you, and then go. Took a while. They start figuring it out. This is how you're supposed to live. So Solomon continues, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, pause for one, six sec- one quick second, that, those two things would be considered the blessings of life. I mean, that's Psalm 127. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's Exodus 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Which, by the way, was remember, that was the rationale behind the commandment was the assumption that your father and mother are honoring God and teaching you to do the same. Therefore, as you honor what they have taught you and as you honor what they are telling you, you are honoring God and Israel honoring God, demonstrating that they are his disciples. God will bless them and provide for them and secure them in the land. So that's how that goes together. This, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, those are the blessings of life. However many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say better the miscarriage than he. Tell me how you really feel, Solomon. I mean, this is when I said it can drift into the depressing. You are talking about wisdom literature that is about 3,000 years old. Tell me you don't see that exact attitude in the world day in and day out. This is the hope that the world provides. Look, go, go be, you know, whatever social media famous. Go do this. Accomplish all these wonderful things. Well, what happens if I don't? What happens if I can't? What happens if, you know, Pinterest rules my life? Or what happens when seeing the success of other people rules my life? What happens when that jealousy and that covetousness rules over me? Where then is my hope? Where is my accomplishment in this world? This is the difference between biblical wisdom and worldly wisdom. This is also, again, Christian, why you see the despair. That rapid fire of everything coming at you. When do you have time to evaluate? When do you have time to think? When do you have time to have any joy? We ended with this last week. This was your reminder. Christian, your life is not supposed to be miserable. (laughs) In Christ, as you encounter the things of this world, you are supposed to encounter them as a righteous, victorious child of God. You win. Nobody ever wins the game and then is that depressed. Like, oh man, we won. Maybe one time, we had a softball tournament a few years ago where in order to actually win the tournament, we had to win five games in one day. And after about game three, it was kind of like, eh, yeah, we won, but, you know, I'm kind of I'm sore and old now, and I'd like to, I'd like to go home. 
But I mean, you ever you ever watch a Super Bowl and the winning team is over in the car in the corner crying? Oh man, this stinks. I can't believe we had to win. This is awful. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. That's what we look like in the world when we're depressed because we think they've won, when we think they have conquered, when we think when we think they have overcome. Immediately, perspective matters. If you have all of those things, all the blessings that the world provides from the world's perspective, but you don't get to enjoy them the way you want to, better off that you had never lived is a really, really rotten perspective. Whereas the Christian perspective is if you never have any of those things and the world kicks you in the teeth every single day to, to, to go along with Paul, that you've been beaten and shipwrecked and cursed upon and stoned and all of these things. And yet, I rejoice in the work of Christ and I rejoice in his kingdom that is coming. That's a better perspective. It's the reminder that Paul gives you in Corinthians. If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I've become a noisy gong a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove ma- to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now stop, Christian. John tells you this. Why do you have love? Why do you love? Because you have first been loved. You have first been transformed and changed by God. It's a change in perspective in how you see the world. This is, again, where Solomon's look at the world from the world's perspective is so important. You have to see what is broken in order to see what God actually sets right. So Solomon continues, verse 4. For it comes, this is talking about the miscarriage that's better off. It comes in futility, goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun. It never knows anything. It is better off than he. Now, I'm going to pause because one, despite the fact of just how utterly depressing that is, I'm going to give you the good news of that verse, which is it's actually a pretty, pretty true description of life, if we're being honest. Who wants fun with statistics time? You ready? According to the World Economic Forum, you know it's a good day when I'm quoting the World Economic Forum because you know they would never lie to you. (laughs) You will eat (laughs) Z-Bugs. You were thinking it. I just said it. Anyway, according to them, and I love this because I don't even know how you come up with this, which is why I had to go Googling around and find this. According to them, there have been 117 billion people to live upon the earth. Now, again, don't ask me how they did that math. If you are a math person, you can sit down and write out that equation for me. God bless you. I don't care. (laughs) Now, let's have some fun. How many of you think you could name a billion people? Like, think through all of your history classes. I mean, I'm not saying you know them personally, but you could name a billion people. I, I don't either. How many of you think you could name a million people? I mean, come on, you start rattling off your world history stuff. I mean, talk about like every person, every name you could possibly think of, like John Adams, all the presidents, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, all of these guys. You think you'd get to a million if you did that? Because I don't either, to be perfectly honest with you. And I probably know as much history as anybody else in the room. And I don't think I get to that number. Why do I do that? If you could name a million people, you would be able to name 0.0009% of all the people who have ever lived. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's impressively minuscule. Now, I, why do I tell you that? Obscurity. 
It goes off into obscurity, and it is buried in obscurity. This is the fate for pretty much everyone, or at least 99.999991% of the people. (laughs) This is the fate that underlies all of us. Okay. Okay. So I will not be famous in the world. Awesome. Who cares? Christian, wrap your brain around this and do it well. It should not matter what the world thinks. It should matter what God thinks. I do not need to be known out there. I want to be known in his throne room before his courts. Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure in turmoil with it. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul gives you this advice. As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. How? To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. The advice from Thessalonians is simple. It's the advice of Scripture. Simple. Service to God. There's what you do each and every day. Anything that's a but that comes after that is ignoring simple service to God. And it's trying to be the .0009%. Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. This is where the world breaks down. And again, why I point out that everything that they offer to you is opposite of God. This isn't hope. This isn't peace. This isn't security of any kind. This is depressing. This is sad. Again, do you wonder why you see the breakdowns that you see? If you want to have some fun, I should... One of these days, I'm going to figure out how to make stuff big enough on this screen because I can get stuff to the computer, but then when I put it on the screen, it's like this big and I can't blow it up properly. Have some fun and look up the, um, the prescription rates for antidepressant medication in the last 15 years. 15 years. And it looks like an Evil Knievel launch ramp. You guys remember Evil Knievel, right? I mean, like, remember when he was trying to, was it Snake Canyon? Was that, was that the one? Yeah. <laughs> You, you got to get that angle right. Be like, wee! That's what it looks like. Why? Because we are depressed and we are sad. And again, I'm talking about humanity in general. We are b- broken down by the world. Why? Because the world has nothing to offer. Now, again, Christian, stop. That's the bad news. <laughs> I wonder, is there anybody that has any good news? Any possible good news in this at all? Yes, there's a better way. There is a forgiveness. There is a righteousness. There is a joy that overcomes the brokenness of this world and lifts your eyes beyond the destruction of sin and to a kingdom where righteousness actually dwells. Now, how now do we get there? Oh, I don't know. Repentance and faith, trusting in the work of Christ and allowing him to transform who you are and what you are, and most importantly, why you are each and every day. And that's why this continues, and this comes into good news. Verse 6, even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? Yes! Yes! And that's a blessing from God. That's a blessing. You're going to die. Okay? This is the thing we don't like to talk about because you ever want to have real good fun? Go, sometimes you might have to pay a little bit of money, but go look up newspaper archive obituaries from like the late 19th century, early 20th century. 
they're brutal. They're absolutely brutal. Be like, Earl lived 87 years. He was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and he died in Dayton, and he died. You're like, (laughs) now, do that. Read a couple of those. And by the way, they're all like this long. I was just reading a book on the Wright brothers, and one of the Wright brothers dies at 45 years old of, um, uh, Wilbur Wright dies when he's 45 years old of uh, typhoid fever. Even the book, like, reposts part of his obituary, and it's just like, and he died. <laughs> it's Genesis 5, and he died. And, they, and Wilbur was such a simple man that when he got the fever and found out that it was typhoid, he called in his lawyer. He's like, I need to make a will. This is probably not going to end well for me. <laughs> and died a month later. I mean, do all that. Read those older obituaries, and then go pick some funeral homes, because that's where we put them now, and start reading through their websites. And it's always things like, and Earl lived a good and full life with many, many years, and he has gone on to be, it's like, oh my goodness, people. And he has passed beyond this mortal plane. It's, are we Shakespeare? And he died. You can't say that anymore. You pass away. You move on. There's, there's some sort of euphemism because nobody wants to say what? And he died. Because nobody wants to face that because it's a reminder of what? That I'm not really in charge around here. That's why I tell you, it's the number two fear of all of humanity. Number one is public speaking, and number two is death. And I'm not, and I'm not kidding about those two numbers. There is a large portion of the population that would rather die than speak in public. Don't ask me why. It's not that bad. You guys haven't stoned me yet, so I always throw yet in there. And cover my bases. So I keep all the hymnals in the back. <laughs> I'll see you if you go for them. <laughs> Give me a chance. But it's a blessing that you do not actually live forever. It's a blessing that you are confronted with your own mortality, that you are reminded of the fact that I am not master and commander. I am not eternal, but that there is actually something beyond. This is one of those reminders. The angry atheist, what are the two things that he knows? There is no God, and I hate him. This is the Romans one understanding. This is why they hate you is because they know that they're under judgment and you know that they know and they know that you know that they know. That's why they're mad at you because you keep reminding them if you would go away, I could forget that judgment and then, oh, wait, I'm going to (sighs) die. Never mind. (laughs) This is why it is left for you, Christian, so that you will think, so that you will evaluate with perspective in mind. Last week, I read you 1 Peter 1 about making sure you understand your salvation was actually costly, not with that you know useless gold and silver stuff, but the precious blood of the Lamb. Peter continues, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are found in God. Not in you, not in your stuff, not in what the world may give you, but in God. It is a reminder that you should be looking beyond the simple things. We always talk about navel gazing, right? That's not looking out at the lovely ships in the ocean that's doing this. Hmm. Don't live like that. Walk around like this all the time. What's eventually going to happen to you? You're going to veer off. So you, let's be honest. You're eventually going to do what? You're going to walk into something. But it's, it's, that's why every dad has told their, their son at some point what? Pick your head up when you walk. Stop looking at your feet. I don't know why we have to teach ourselves this, but every boy goes through that phase where he does this. 
And every day, stop it, you're going to run into the wall. Are you standing in front of him and he runs into you like, mm-hmm, you can pay attention now? I don't know why we have to learn this, but it is what it is. This is what sin does to us, though. This is the problem Cain had. I want to bring an offering to God. Well, that's the wrong offering. That's the wrong heart. Now I'm mad. What are you mad about? You're supposed to do it like this with this attitude. Well, I don't want to do it like that. I got bad news for you, kid. I mean... Now you're mad at me because you're broken. Okay, that's not, that's not my fault. <laughs> this is the problem of humanity. This is the anger that we all deal with. This is the problem that we all walk through each and every day. Now again, Christian, what's the actual cure? Getting your eyes up, focusing beyond the brokenness of this place and seeing where hope actually lies. Verse 7. All a man's labor, Solomon can't help himself. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. Uh, is it my imagination or in six chapters has Solomon said this like 17 times? I feel like this one is really bugging him and I, I, I kind of think that's a little funny because he's got all the money and he's got all the property. Basically, Solomon won Monopoly if Monopoly was real life and he's looking around going, and I'm not happy about it. He's basically a moody teenager at this point even though he's an old man. It's like we get this. Why do we have to be reminded of it? And the reason is because there's a lesson in it. Proverbs 16. A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. Nobody's going to work harder than someone who has to accomplish this task in order to eat. Like, you guys might plant a garden. And, you know, you might water it and you might go on vacation and forget and then you're, you know, not cover your tomato plants and they get scorched. And you say what? Oh, man. Now, if that garden was how you ate next month, would you just leave those plants and go on vacation? Do you, like, have your sleeping bag out there sleeping next to them? <laughs> oh, I want to die. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the uh, joke going around. Why did you apply for this job? Well, I'm very passionate about not starving to death. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. Why do most of you go to work each day? You know, I don't want to be homeless and hungry. Now, that's important, Christian, because that's a human reality. What's the goal of Christian living then? To suppress the appetite? No. To train it. To have it work for you rightly. Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Depends on how funny it would be at the time, but anyway. <laughs> you thought it, you thought it, I just said it out loud. If you then being evil, I always love how Jesus you know, pulls no punches, then you evil people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? See, you have an appetite. It drives you. You want things. What Christian living is supposed to do is not to say, oh, no, 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 no. Pay no attention to the appetite behind the curtain. It says, no, teach the appetite behind the curtain to desire the right things. Teach it to focus upon godliness and the things of God, to trust in his righteousness and to seek after that so that your labors in this world are not for the things that feed your stomach, but for the things that feed your soul. Because when you do that, you know what you'll accomplish? You'll get the stuff for your stomach. It'll be there. It'll be there. I mean, 
keep in mind, this is one of those, I've told you, we've done this a thousand times, but it's always bearing repeating because one of the things that we lost in the modern world is what the, um, what the Puritans tried to give us with an understanding of holistic theology. And one of the two that bug me the most are, hang on. The two that bug me the most are we've, we've lost in this world an understanding of Puritan providence that the hand of God is active in all things. Like your neighbors are not an accident. Your children are not an accident. Don't make jokes. <laughs> that, you know, it's not like, well, why is this kid like this? I don't know. No, because God providentially ordained that that kid would be like this. We've lost providence, but we've also lost the, the Puritan understanding of vocation. I, um, I had a, a Roman Catholic history professor in college, and she's like, I used to get so offended by the phrase Protestant work ethic, which if you ever study history, that's a, that's a thing. There's a, it's an understanding called Protestant work ethic. She's like, it used to bug me because I'm like, it's not like us Catholics are lazy, but then you study history and you see what the Puritans and the Reformers and what people, what Protestants were doing in the 16th, 17th, and 18th century, and it's like, people worked, man. I mean, they worked. It was just... They, they, I don't know why, but they worked. Well, because they had an understanding of, of vocation. Your job is not to you get money so that you're not hungry and homeless. Your job is an offering unto God. You go and do it well, not so that you'll get paid more, but because that job is not for your boss, it is for God. Now stop for a second. If you went into your job with that attitude, is your boss going to look at me like, you know, Dave shows up early, stays late, works his tail off. I think we should fire him. <laughs> Is that how that works? Tip I mean, look, you might have just a jerk of a boss and it might happen occasion, but overall, what's going to happen? You know, Dave's going to get promoted. Dave's going to get a raise. In other words, as you were seeking after righteousness, the world was like, you know, we can't deny this. That was the Protestant understanding. That's what the biblical understanding is, is recognize, yes, you have an appetite. You know, don't want to be hungry and homeless, but that's fine. Don't focus on that. Serve God. Simple service to God. And you know what you won't be, odds are? You won't be hungry and homeless because you'll work to serve God and the world will see that and be undeniable and there will be reward. And you know what you'll see with that reward? A way to praise and honor and serve God. And it's almost like this cycle just keeps going around the mountain, but in a good way. That's the point. Now, verse 8. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? And remember, the answer to that is nothing, unless your wisdom is serving godliness. Solomon continues. What the eye sees is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility in striving after the wind. <laughs> Solomon's like, you have an appetite, and it's never satisfied, and you're smart, so what? And you work hard, so what? And you want these things that you see, and you have these things that your soul desired, and who cares? Who cares? <sighs> Welcome to the world, and by the way, that's actually a pretty true indictment. This is James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Because what happens? And by the way, who was James writing to again? James was writing to pagans, right? No, no, James was writing to Christians undergoing persecution. And in the midst of that, they still fall they still drift away. They still struggle. And remember, Christian, when you compare us to the world, we actually do pretty well. There's, there's statistics that bear this out. 
Um, if you look at charitable giving in the world, Christians versus non-Christians are 50% more likely to give to charity. 50% more likely. And when Christians give to charity, they give 344% more than non-Christians. <laughs> and you ready for the best part? That includes non-Christian charities. We give more to the pagan causes than the pagans do. Why might that be? Hmm. Because while this is a true indictment of the world, how often do Christians see the world from the world's perspective? Yes, it's more often than it should be, but it's not as often as the world does. And this is good news. The goal of Christian living is what? To take that small amount of time when you see the world rightly and to increase it and to grow. Remember, sanctification. What should it look like over time? There are peaks and valleys, but ultimately it should be what? Progress. Moving up hill, moving to a good conclusion, getting to the end, seeing things rightly, training yourself. This is again why you wake up one day after you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, and you'd be like, why am I just now dealing with that problem? That's well, easy. You couldn't deal with that problem 15 years ago. You just, you just couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You weren't ready. You had other things you had to deal with. You know, I got really bad news for you. You're going to deal with this one now? And if God gives you 15 more years, you know what you're going to wake up and say? Why am I just dealing with this one now? <laughs> Why did we wait 30 years to tackle this? I couldn't, yeah, because you couldn't deal with that then. And it's time, again, understanding of providence, that this is the time the Holy Spirit has you dealing with that. And in other words, you are built for which time? Where you live. You don't live yesterday. You can't live tomorrow. You have to live now. So deal with the problems you have now, deal with the difficulties you have now, overcome the sin that you have now, and know that, you know, 10 years from now, you know what you'll be dealing with? <laughs> the problems and the difficulties and the sins that you have now. No, it'll be now, because then we'll be now, because then is never not here. <laughs> Are you confused yet? <laughs> we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you got to enjoy some life here. All right, verse 10. Whatever exists has already been named. Uh, yes, Solomon, you've told us already that which has been, which that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done, so that there is nothing new under the sun. And always remember, that's one of those Bible verses that is always in effect. There is nothing new under the sun. There are no new things. There are no new ideas. We may take different ways of organizing them, but at the end of the day, case in point, we, we came up with smartphones. Mine's sitting in my chair at home. Hopefully the dog's not drooling on it. <laughs> He will. I'll leave it on the side of my chair and he'll walk up and rest his head on my chair and I have to move my phone before the jowls hit because for those of you that don't know, I have a St. Bernard, so <laughs> the jowls are a lot. So, so yeah, now, I hadn't thought about that. Now I'm sitting here worried that he's sitting there drooling on my phone. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. I, yeah, just put it in rice. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's the cure for everything. It's what I do to the kids when they don't get stuff right. Just stick them in rice. It'll be fine. <laughs> They're in a bad mood, stick them in rice. Exactly. <laughs> now, <laughs> sorry. All right, there you go. Smartphones. This new, it's this amazing technology we've never seen. It delivers information. Humanity's been delivering information since there's been a humanity. We just came up with a different way to do it, but it's doing the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. We just have different ways. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just quicker. So, okay, we get it, Solomon. What's the point? 
And it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. There goes all the way back to the beginning. That prevalent evil that's been done under the sun, why? Because we know what people are, and people are not good. They are broken and they are messed up. Now stop for a second. Who is stronger than us? God. Remember I warned you, it was either last week or week before last, Solomon can't help himself. Solomon wants to see the world from the world's perspective. He wants to evaluate it. He wants to, he basically wants to, you know, be Simon and Garfunkel. He wants to climb in and go, hello darkness, my old friend. But he can't live there. He can't stay there. He has to eventually, who he is at the core comes flying out. And this is one of those advantages right here, is in spite of how we've looked at everything from the darkness, we know that there is a light. In spite of looking at things from the world's point of view, there is a point of view that comes from God. And you have to be reminded of that, that as you live, you have to deal with the powers and the authorities and the strengths that are above you. And at the top of that totem pole is who? God. So what we seek to do is skip all of the rungs and give our allegiance where? Where it belongs that's what has to be reminded of here. And that's why he continues. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? During the few years of his futile life, he will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Yeah. Those are the questions. Don't you remember we used to, we've done this from the beginning of time. Philosophers have sat around and said, what is man? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Dun, dun, dun. These are the basic questions of life. Now, what's the answer from the world's point of view? Go out into the world. What philosopher is sitting there going, here it is. This is why we're here. This is what we're meant to accomplish. Usually breaks down to what? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You know, this is, this, again, you talk about philosophy. You're going back to, the, the, when you go back to Greek philosophy, you're going back to the 4th, 3rd century B.C. And what are the arguments? Well, you've got Epicureans on one side of the spectrum, and they say what? No, 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 enjoy the food. Enjoy the drink. That's why the, the, um, that's why the word has, has a meaning in English. An Epicurean is someone who likes what? likes fine food, likes to cook, enjoys their wine and all of these things. That's the fruit of an Epicurean philosophy, which is the point of life is to enjoy yourself. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And on the other end of the spectrum, no, 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 we looked at that. That's, that's futility, and that's, that's empty wisdom, and that won't lead you anywhere. We are the Stoics, and we will examine the world rationally and logically, and we will suppress our emotions and deny the pleasures of the flesh, and the joys of the world are found in the mind. And that's why stoicism becomes what? Angry curmudgeons yelling at you to get off their lawn. No, you don't enjoy those things. You must put them aside and be a stone statue. That's the goal of life. And humanity has done what? Back and forth trying to figure out the goal. Christian Living says, how about you just stop in the middle? Remember, where do we drive again? In the middle of the highway, we try to avoid the ditches on each side. Yeah, just enjoy everything in the world. Well, you know, there's probably some things in the world you should not enjoy. There's probably some things in the world that you should moderate how you enjoy them. Enjoy nothing, be the cold, rational mind. That doesn't work. And look, I try. <laughs> Don't you give me that look, woman. <laughs> I am the rational thinker of my household. I try as best I can. 
even I have emotions, as much as I hate to admit it. They are an existing part of humanity. They are who we are. And the goal of life is not to deny one or rest only in one or the other, but it is to manage and rule them rightly in service to God. In other words, all of that to tell you that the world has found exactly zero answers. They don't know what they are. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So when we climb into their swamp, and we live like they live. We are basically the unreasoning beasts of all creation. That's not where we're supposed to be. Instead, we actually have answers. We actually have wisdom. We can actually point them to something else because that something else is not meant to be found in the here and the now of the world. This is, again, go back to the beginning, Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you ever get the feeling like your Bible's repeating stuff a lot so that you won't miss it? Yeah, kind of like that. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. See? Christian, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Now, you don't own the world the way that Adam did, so you can't have dominion over all of creation. Okay. You got a house. You got a life. You got a family. Simple service to God. Where do you have influence? Where do you have decision-making? Where do you have opportunity to teach and to instruct and to impart wisdom? There is where you exercise your dominion. We are actually in the shoes of Elwood. We're on a mission from God. You're welcome. <laughs> You're supposed to be, though. This is what you do. That's why the answers aren't found out there. They're found in him, in a training of your life, in a discipling of your spheres of influence, and in an understanding that all of the things of your life, not some of them, all of the things of your life are meant to serve God. And there are your answers. Paul gives you the good summation. Philippians 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, my hope is not here. It is in Christ. My rest is not in this world. It is in Christ. Not like the, the foolish farmer from earlier who was putting his joy and his salvation in his silos and in his grain, but in God. Not looking for the meaning of life in the things of this world and in the pleasures of the flesh, because at the end of the day, they are meaningless vanity and striving after the wind. But grounding my life in God, serving him in knowing that it is he who provides and he who has guaranteed my place, and that as I rest and live there, I rest in the place of wisdom and care because it is the place that God has set for me. Let's pray.